Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And welcome to the Lauren Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conlin. Okay, I am going to make this episode as upbeat as I possibly can amid everything that's going on in the world right now. So for today, I have Deborah Roberts, who has just been named the new co-host of 2020 alongside David Meir. New episodes air on Fridays, and she was just so lovely. We talk all about true crime, and of course, I couldn't help myself. I plugged my own crime story, the case I'm covering on corruption, what happened to Grant Solomon, the Grant and Gracie Solomon case. And Deborah lent her ear at the end and she was just so polite and sweet and just listen to me blab. So yeah, she's great. And then I have Ian Summerhalder, who is best known as an actor, of course, but he actually quit acting about four years ago to essentially become this earth activist. So he tells me all about what he's up to. He also has a bourbon company, which is very cool. And he has a documentary out, which is called Common Ground. And that's about farming and soil. And he'll tell you all about it. It's it's essentially about farmers finding common ground and um, all about the pesticides used. I mean, I was totally freaked out when I learned how many pesticides were in strawberries. I definitely stopped buying them, which is a shame because my kids love them. But But yeah, really interesting episode today. So I hope you guys are slightly uplifted, although Deborah and I do get into some true crime. But anyway, I'm going to stop talking and play my interviews. Hi, Lauren. How are you? I'm doing well. Congratulations on your role at Twitter. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a real delightful couple of weeks uh, just celebrating this new, new position. Yeah, I mean, you deserve it. I I think this year I was watching you cover, um, what was I watching you cover? Oh, uh, King Charles. And I was just like, wow. I was like, she is so versatile. Yeah, that was amazing. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. (laughs) And you know what? It's funny because just as I've been talking about what I've been doing, I I completely forgot about that one. And that's one that I love doing as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big deal, I got to say. But, um, you know, I've I've been watching you for a long time. I also... I have another podcast that is true crime and it's focused on one specific case. And, um, you know, Deborah, I have to say, like, I have been working on that case since April and it's definitely taken a toll on my mental health. And I was just so curious to know how you cope with um, handling just all of this darkness and crime on 2020. 
You know, it's interesting you would talk about that because it does take a toll sometimes when we're covering stories, whatever they are. My mm-hmm. co-inco David Muir was in Israel this week uh, covering the, the conflict over there between Israel and Hamas. And I'm oh. watching him walk around in his black jacket and his helmet and, and telling these stories, these really devastating stories that he's on the ground witnessing. And that's one of the things that we do as reporters, whether it's in a war zone like that or whether I'm meeting the parents who lost a child years ago who was abducted and they found out many years later, you know, that, that they had lost him. Those mm-hmm. things, and I'm a mom, you know, so these things really take their toll. Um, and, and I think it, you just, we just have to really be mindful of that. I remember during the pandemic doing a lot of reporting about, you know, of, of course, about racial inequities and just, you know, so many yeah. things that were happening. And, you know, looking into your own life, whatever the story might be, many times you tap into your own life for perspective, and it can mm-hmm. be really, really difficult. And I think that more than anything else, we have to remember sometimes to step back and to take care of ourselves. And in my case, I like to go out for a run in the park or go work out at the gym. You have to really sometimes take a step back and protect your own mental health because these stories can be, they can be difficult. Yeah. I think, I think you nailed it. It's, it's the protection of your own mental health. And I have children as well. And, and I've been, oh my gosh, I feel, you know, I feel a little bit alone. I think in a lot of this sometimes because I, you know, my life is news. I contribute on a lot of stations as well as doing this podcast as an expert, whereas my husband and, you know, my family, their life is not news. So sometimes they look at me, I want to say as a fear monger, right? And it's like, you know, I think you can probably relate to that. It's like, no, it's being a realist, (laughs) Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I had somebody, I'm very active on social media, and mm-hmm. I, I post a lot of my life and, you know, my love for flowers and my, you know, <laughs> jogging and working out with my son when he comes to town from college, you know, a lot yeah. of kind of yeah. fun, uplifting yeah. things. And I've had people ask me on social media, you know, you are such a, an upbeat personality and you're very positive. How is it you cover all these dark stories? It's <laughs> a legitimate question. It's a very I legitimate know. question. But you know what? Listen, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, I guess, in terms of just the, the, the success of our program, people are intrigued by crime stories and not necessarily the gruesomeness of it. I think people are intrigued by, you know, the surveillance video and how police came to solve a crime or how dogged somebody was and a relative was in trying to find justice in a crime. Mm. So I think... For us, I really try to focus on that at 2020, what we are talking about in terms of the human connection. How did this affect that person? How did the person involved, the victim or somebody who's related to the crime, how did they either survive this issue? How did they you know, continue to go forward? How did they find resilience? The couple that I interviewed most recently who had lost a son, just they blew me away with the idea that they were able to continue on with their lives and raise children with a positive light and to try to be resilient in spite of their pain. And the mom went on to make changes in the system and in, in, in our government, and she became an activist because of her pain. So I think sometimes for me, if I can dwell on that more than anything else when I'm covering these stories, it helps a lot still difficult right. when I go into a prison and sit across from a, 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 a convicted murderer. That's still very hard. Oh but, my God. Um, yeah. I can't even, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. But you know what though? It also makes it intriguing. I mean, how many times would you do something like that in life? So that makes it intriguing, but you do have to be able to find a way to unplug and, 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 and find some lightness in your life. 
Yeah. And I think, I think you nailed it right there. The purpose of true crime, right? It's to raise awareness. It's to solve cold cases. I mean, I think that's my biggest thing is like when, you know, places, you know, Dateline and, and 2020, when they're telling these stories, I don't want to hear a story of a girl who was raped and murdered, you know, um, and they caught the killer and, and then it's like done deal. It's like, I want to hear the story where you need help, right? Somebody yeah. might know something. Yeah. They never caught this guy. Someone might know something. And I don't know if you attended CrimeCon this year. Did you? I can't. I don't know if I recall that you attended that. No. CrimeCon? Yeah. Did you go to that? No, no. Yeah. I haven't had an opportunity. I think there was one I was going to attend and something happened and I wasn't able to to, to go do it. But okay. you, you're absolutely okay. right. I think it's yeah. like the, I think for me, it's about the lesson. What do we take from this? And, right. you know, my family, my daughters, I've got <laughs> a 21-year-old son, a 24-year-old daughter, and a 30-something-year-old stepdaughter. And I'm often saying to them, oh, well, now be careful with this because we did a story once on yeah. such and such. Yeah. And whether it's product safety Mom. or whether it's like, you know, some possible criminal element, they're like, you have a warning about everything? And I said, well, you know, I've done enough stories that I yeah. do So I think more than anything else, I, I try to think about the fact that we're trying to inform people. Um, oftentimes people are learning things from from these stories and, you know, also learning to trust their gut when it comes to crime, trusting, you know, uh, you, that, that little voice that says, be careful of this or be mindful of that. And if we can inform and help people sort of learn and go from some of these uh, stories to um, a little bit more of an informed life, I think that is a little bit of a silver lining, even though it may be a tragic yeah. story. No, I agree. And and I think it's also very important. And I was trying to relay this to everybody, you know, my own children, my, and, and just, you know, my following when, when Charlotte Cena was rescued and the news outlet is reporting, you know, she's safe, she's unharmed, she's healthy. I'm just sitting here and I'm like, oh my gosh, my, I'm very relieved, but like, this journey is just beginning for this family, yeah. this, right? Yeah. This family right. has been, is traumatized. Right. This girl, yeah. she can't just go back to living her life. We all have to be compassionate to, to the fact that, you know, she's going to have to, God, years of therapy, right, Deborah? I mean, yeah. years yeah. Yeah. Years, and so, that, yeah. You're absolutely right. As, as a reporter and as a mom, in your case, a parent, you know, I thought about that too when everybody said, oh, this this child is safe and she's yes. okay. And I've done enough stories to know that the story doesn't end there. Um, depending on what happens to her, she's not just safe because she is traumatized and there's going to be therapy and there's going to be a family trying to work through trauma. You're absolutely right. And that's one of the things I think that I... I, I bring to the table as a reporter because I do have a certain amount of compassion and understanding, um, not only as just a person, who, yeah. but also, you know, as a parent. And I think that you do have to go beyond that. And that's what we do at 2020. We go beyond the story. It's not mm -hmm. just what you read about in the headlines. It's like, who are these people and how do they deal with it? And how do they channel uh, either their grief or their trauma? How do they cope with it? And I think sometimes you know, we, we're able to delve into that and give you something at the very end that might feel a little bit like um, something that is revealing and that is healing and hopeful. And that's always my hope when we're doing these stories, to find a little hope there somewhere. Yeah. And this is also, I think, why you are so gifted at your job, because and this is, you know, this is something that I say about you, what you have, what you possess, Zebra, it can't be you can't train that way. You know, you have something that you were 
you were born with. This is you, the way that you are able to speak to the families of the victims and the way that you're able to um, inform us, but also be sensitive, but also be direct. I mean, it's not easy. And that's just, that's something that I've always admired about you. You just, you have it and and you can't teach that to anybody, you know? <laughs> well, well I, I appreciate that. And I, I think that I'm, I'm very fortunate that I do, you know, possess a certain amount of compassion. And I, and I'm always touched after I finished doing an interview with somebody who was reluctant to do the interview and maybe they're very nervous or worked up about, you know, the idea of sitting on television. And when they say to me at the very end, when somebody will say to me, you know what, you made me feel so comfortable or you know what mm-hmm. I feel so much better that I shared that story and you made it so easy for me and I just really appreciate that I have had people mm-hmm. say I actually felt this was sort of therapeutic thank you for for for, for being so gentle with me and yeah. I you know and I, I think that that makes me feel as a reporter gratified that that I didn't just intrude upon somebody's life but I was actually able to help guide them in telling a story and do it in a way that might actually have been helpful to them as well I hope so anyway. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, not to put you on the spot here, but has there ever been any interview that you did or even with like, you know, you mentioned maybe a, a serial killer, but anything that really, that you just, you couldn't shake. You had, you know, you kind of went home and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to like, uh, yeah, get myself, yeah. but please. Yeah, there are a number of those stories. I mean, certainly anytime I go to visit a, a prison and I have to, and I sit across from somebody in prison, there's always just something that's just jarring about being in that atmosphere. But yeah. I think there was a story that I did a couple of years ago um, for 2020 about a young woman who had been abducted. And it's one of those very, very sad, difficult, traumatic stories that, you know, you see that's the focus of a movie oftentimes, a young woman walking away, a young girl actually, yeah. walking from oh. school, abducted by this guy who offered her a ride. And it's in a, a small town and, and, you know, she's being kind of naive. And this guy went on to um, hold her prisoner uh, in her in, in his home in in a, in a in a neighborhood he had her blindfolded she had no idea where she was and she was in prison for many months and her family wasn't sure what was going on and and, mm-hmm. and 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 there were doubts from the police about was she really abducted and all of that well it turns out it was one of those classic sad uh, of just horrific cases of a young woman who was held as a, as a sex slave for a while but when i mm-hmm. when i did the interview with her uh, and she had gone on to um, find a partner. I think she got married, and she just had a baby. And and I I was just so touched by the fact that this woman wanted to move forward in her life. She wanted mm-hmm. to heal. She was able to sit down and tell me the story in a way that was really it, it was just mind blowing. It was all about somebody who had clawed her way back from something that was horribly traumatic and tried to find. Uh, lightness in her life. Now, her mother was a complete wreck because, of course, a mom had to go through all of this and, 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 and now receive a daughter who had been injured in, in so many ways, physically and emotionally. But this young woman's bravery and resilience just not only uh, touched me, but it left me shaken because all I could think about is, you know, my own daughter and what that yeah. would have been like and so forth. But to just see the story and to have her tell it to me and have me have to receive it and then you know, now report on it. It was a really, really difficult story, but also one that was just so intriguing and I will never forget it. Oh, I think I, are you talking about Kara Robinson, by the way? 
No, this was oh. uh, this was another one out in the Midwest. Uh, no, okay. no, maybe it wasn't in the Midwest. Maybe it was upstate. Uh, it was uh, in the in the Northeast. And okay. I'm going blank on her name, but okay. yeah. Okay. I, so Kara Robinson, woman. she has this a similar story where I don't. I think she was held. She again, it's literally the same where she managed to escape as a sex slave, and and she was able to do this by using her wits. And you always think, yeah, like, I do yeah. that. And oh, this woman, yeah. Yeah, and this young woman did the same thing. She was able to not even just escape. She walked away because she was able to, in the middle of all of this, show some compassion. I mean, she was 16, 17 years old, and she was able to um, work through this and sort of from a very compassionate standpoint convince her captor to release her. And that was just absolutely mind-blowing to me. So, you know, it's hard to do these stories and not to feel something. But, you know, the hope is that we can, you know... uh, take some time to take care of ourselves and then just sort of move on to whatever else we're, we're working on next and, yes, and to do, yes. uh, you know, a good job with it, hopefully. Yeah, no, I, I can totally see that why that story would stay with you. Because again, like you said, you put yourself in that position, you put your child in that position. And I mean, I think it's, it's good for viewers to watch this because they should learn and they should know. And, um, you know, I do want to ask you, uh, about if you've heard of this case, this is the the podcast that I've been focusing on since April. And actually Nancy Grace uh, just recorded a few episodes um, with the victim's mother. So that should be released next week. But have you heard uh, out of Tennessee, the Grant Solomon case? I don't think I've heard of that one. Okay, I don't know. If you you give me the description, I might hear some detail. But no, that one doesn't ring a bell, but there's so many. There's so many of these stories out there, aren't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many. This one in particular, it's it's a very troubling, but also uh, there's many layers to this story, Deborah. It's, you know, it's... um, I would say it would be like a 90 to two hour episode of 2020 if, if you know, if this wow. was uh, for, yeah. But anyway, this, this young man, uh, 18 years old, just turned 18. He um, drove to Gallatin, Tennessee on his own to meet his father, who was a bit estranged at the time. His parents. Oh, had- I do. I remember this story. You do? Oh my gosh. Really? So it's a, yeah. I think, he- I, I think I've heard of it. I think I've heard of it. Oh my gosh, that would be, yeah, I'd be so happy if you did. But yeah, he essentially, his dad was a local celebrity news anchor, uh, WSMV TV in Nashville. And um, he meets his dad there in the parking lot. They're the only ones. Next thing you know, his dad's on the phone with 911 claiming that his son was dragged underneath his own car 60 feet into a ditch And, you know, his son, Grant, who was 18, passed away. Now, why this never made sense is because if you're dragged under 60 feet by a hot car, forgive me, but you're going to be hamburger meat, right? Um, And yeah, 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 Grant did not have a scratch on his body. Open casket, no scratch. Uh, The father denied an autopsy and um, which is just you know, I've since I've been working this case, I've I've found many angles where in Tennessee autopsies really are discretionary in a lot of uh, or for a lot of uh, reasons, I guess. And it's very strange, but he technically didn't need to have one. But my God, wouldn't you want to know if this really happened to your son? Many discrepancies in the yeah. nine one call. I've had uh, 
deception analysis, you know, people just, oh my God, it's basically there's some kind of cover-up going on, some kind of corruption in Tennessee because the police were there at the scene for 57 minutes, no accident recon, let the dad go. The dad talks about three witnesses, never found the witnesses. It's pretty crazy. And then in the meantime, Deborah, this same father had been accused of allegedly raping his own daughter who is still alive and uh, has never uh, been prosecuted uh. for that. So this is this is a pretty crazy case. Um that up until now, it has not gotten any media attention. So Mandy Matney of the Murdoch Murders has picked it up on her True Sunlight podcast. I have over 30 episodes. So, man, I would love for you guys to cover this. You have no idea. (laughs) Well, well, I'll have to to jot this one down. I will have to jot it down. It's such a pleasure talking with you. Okay, that was Deborah Roberts. She was such a sport listening to me blab. I really, really enjoyed her. And now I will move on to my interview with Ian Summerhalder. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. American history is full of infamous people like D.B. Cooper, Bonnie and Clyde, and John Wilkes Booth. Places like Alcatraz Prison and the Bermuda Triangle. And events like the Salem Witch Trials, the Black Sox baseball scandal, and the Osage murders. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Infamous America podcast for stories of some of the darker chapters of American history, all told with cinematic music. Find Infamous America wherever you're listening now. Hi, Ian. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. You know, I'm doing I'm doing as best as I possibly can with this crazy world right now. I'm feeling um, exceptionally privileged this morning. I don't know about you. I feel I feel lucky for sure. I feel lucky to be able to to have your mind and ear even for two minutes and I'm super grateful that you wanna share this even short moment uh with Aww. us um about this. Yeah, no, of course. I'm I did not know about this film, Common Ground. So please tell tell all of my listeners about this and why it's so important. Listen, thank you so much to everyone out there. Good morning. Um, can't thank you enough for, for the two minutes that I'm getting here. I know that the world is crazy. There's so many things going on. Everyone wants your ear. Everyone wants you to do something. This is a really simple one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen, you know, the, we, the first film we did was called Kiss the Ground. That's easy. That's on Netflix. So easy to find and see. Really special. Woody Harrelson narrates. Love him. But it really tees up what Common Ground is. Common Ground is our official follow-up by the powerhouse director, um, writer, producer team, Ash and Rebecca Kell. This film, all about regenerative agriculture. Why? 
And the why is the big one, right? People go, what the heck is Regen Ag and why? Really simple. Regenerative agriculture is just the use of plant grazing methods, living growing plants, literally agriculture at scale, to sequester enormous amounts of carbon dioxide. When you do that, you feed all those vital microorganisms in the soil, healthier soil, healthier plants, and it. Hmm. better water, better tax base, you know, building farmer prosperity, taking farmers off of government subsidies. This film details how the agrochemical companies kept the country on their drip, detriment of our soil to our public health and to our farmers. By doing hmm. what? By lobbying. Lobbying the congressional chambers that exist. We uncover how these agrochemical companies have really microfinancing, particularly one in particular, has mm. been microfinancing all of the university agricultural curriculum. Wow. Jeez. So basically convinced, basically telling young people, the, agri the agricultural world, you need our inputs, right? Mm -hmm. Now, think about this. Generative ag produces higher yields per bushel, I mean, higher yields per acre. Right. Farmers make money. They don't have to live saddled with debt. And, and the idea is, it's like, listen, someone's out in theaters, and we're asking people, please, go buy tickets. Vote at the box office and help us tell Washington that we want profitable farmers, we want chemical-free food, and we want a healthy future. Listen. Yeah. People are – they're starting to listen, right? And it's time mm -hmm. to sort of like lean into that message of saving soil to save farms and communities and our kids' health. Like, it is an American right, right, that yeah. we should have the right to healthy food, not adulterated with chemicals. That is an American right. Right. You know, like, I mean, yeah, you're, you'd think. <laughs> yeah, right? No, exactly. And our yeah. farmers should have the right to live and work debt-free. That is an American right. And we should have the ability you know, to grow crops every year without soil blowing away. I mean, that's, I think, one thing we can all agree on. And every American, no matter, you know, who they are or what they believe, mm. has the right to common ground. And if we are so divided right now, let the soil be our common, you know, it's the only thing that we have in common is the ground beneath us. Yeah, I like that's that. Good. I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. Um, that's, that's a really good point. A really good point. And you tied that all together beautifully. I mean, I think, you know, I think I just read yesterday uh, that Gavin Newsom, who just a side note, I don't always agree with. He did ban uh, four potentially harmful chemicals in food. I think red dye number three was one of like the, the biggest things that people were like, we need this out of our food. Right. I mean, red 40. I, I think it was red dye number three. It could be it's something it different. Really? Um, yeah. yeah. Something like that. But I was like, okay, you know, I, oh, so yeah. So that's what's used in like Skittles, um, you know, gummies, potato project or uh, products, instant rice, cake mixes, all of that stuff that, you know, I would say I live in New York city. I would say more middle America buys that stuff. Right. I mean, I've been guilty to buy lucky charms for my kids every now and then I'm not going to lie. My husband gets really pissed though, like really pissed. So, um, you know, it's I think that we're moving in the right direction, but I think it's people like you who, you know, use your platform for good that that might really push the needle for everybody, you know. You know, it's really special what's happening right now. What we're doing is is we're we've created what's called hundred million acres dot org. Okay. And what that is is you know to so listen. 
All right, so check this out. Okay. This is crazy. So <laughs> at 100 million acres, converted mm-hmm. from conventional agriculture to regenerative, that okay. will set the tipping point in motion. It'll really never go back because what's going to happen is there's going to be so much profit um, mm-hmm. from that that people will start to realize, oh, I don't need all these inputs. Mm-hmm. So what Monsanto mm-hmm. and the other agrochemical companies have basically done is use Congress to pass laws and use the Farm Bill as well to keep farmers on the drip, right? Right. Now, farmers can save upwards of $400 per acre by not using their chemical inputs, fertilizers, fungicides, herbicides, pesticides, right? Okay. Just say, for instance, just say, and we, if people want to talk about like balance of trade, they want to talk about national security, they want to talk about healthcare, this is, these are the numbers to pay attention to. Okay. Say there's 200 million acres of grain in this country. Just say, just, it's, that's conservative, but let's just go with being conservative. Okay. 200 million acres, production acres, right? Now multiply that times $400 every year. Right. That's wow. how much money we are sending overseas to foreign companies. Remember, Genda is Chinese. Monsanto is German. Instead of all of that money going into communities in the United States, mm. you're spending 50, 80, $100 billion a year offshore. Wow. That, that should make farmers who elected these members of Congress in sins because they're the ones living saddled with debt. The farmers are the ones that have to go to the bank every year, which the banks love. Yeah. They have to go yeah. every year, to borrow money to buy inputs, put on their farms to then sell. My gosh. They live on a drip. And then on that, they're surrounded by chemicals, in their soil that's in their water, that's mm. in their food systems, that's in their blood, that's in their kids' blood. Come on. How cool yeah. is it to know you don't have yeah. to do that anymore? Right. And you know, you bring up, gosh, you make a lot of good points. And I, I know this sounds horrible, but sometimes when I'm scrolling TikTok, for example, I, I got to tell you, Ian, I have not bought strawberries in a really long time because I watched a TikTok that creeped me the hell out about how the pesticides cannot be released from the strawberries. So if you, I don't know if you know anything about this, but I was just like, oh my yeah. gosh. So, so yeah, the whole idea is, is that you could recycle the amount of pesticides on the strawberries and reuse them to spray a garden or a field. Wow. What? Are you kidding me? Unfortunately. <laughs> no, oh my gosh. That I mean, I even baking soda is not going to get those out, you know, like what? Oh my gosh. That is so freaking scary. That is so scary. Right. Wow. Wow. And, you know, quickly before I, uh, I have to let you go, you also uh, have a bourbon company as well. Is that right? Yes, I do. That's so and, cool. Um, it is really special. Um, you know, the idea was, you know, I walked away from acting four years ago um, to build my companies and raise my kids. And wow. Being able to work in the, in the bourbon space and, and also, too, very soon in the CPG space, you know, the promise of regenerative agriculture is so huge, and people are now listening. And, you know, we as a bourbon company, we use a tremendous amount of grain. 
Mm. And I think it was the same reason that I that I dipped my that I that I went in to work with the United Nations. Like you cannot change something from the outside in. You can only change something from the inside out. Period. End of story. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's been really special being able to work with these companies um, and grain producers and 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 start to build out, you know, basically Brothers Bond to be, you know, a truly regenerative spirits company um, down the line. And what's amazing about that is it's all possible. And so that's why we started 100millionacres.org, which is a pledge, right, to get mm-hmm. companies that don't pay money. It's a pledge to shift 100, I'm sorry, 10% of their supply chain to regenerative just over the next couple of years. That's it. Not asking okay. them to you know, waste millions of dollars in PR and all these expensive <laughs> things. No, 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 no. Yeah. Just switch your, your supply chain to 10% regen. Now, when we do that at scale, when the largest alcohol producers and grain users and producers do that, the whole world was shipped on its axis, and we are building, mark my words, we are building the single largest carbon capture food economy here in this country from the Carolina coast to the California coast. It is happening right now. It is a really, really, really special time, and we're doing it, and we're going to do it together, and we're going to continue to do it. And so it's a really powerful time. It's just please, if you can, just explain to everyone, get into that box office, vote at the box office. Yes. Help our Washington and help us tell the entertainment industry who's been censoring this. Media and entertainment industry have been censoring this film. They don't want it out. Oh, shocker. (laughs) They're censoring something? Oh, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I was blown away. I I never thought that something like this, because we're kind of such insiders. Yeah. It's censored because the bills are paid by these big companies that are not. I know. I was going to say, it's all about money. All about money. It's like, we know that. (laughs) Yeah. But then let's put the money back in the hands of the farmers and into American communities because it is their right. It's Mm. their right to have healthy food, not full of chemicals for their communities and their families. And it's their right to be able to profit off of their hard work instead of agrochemical companies. Amen. I agree. I totally agree. And, you know, I want to try your bourbon just after speaking to you because I'm thinking that I'm not going to get a hangover from it. (laughs) I'm thinking that it's like the cleanest bourbon ever. (laughs) It is a really pure, really, you know, beautiful spirit. Um, We've worked incredibly hard on it. And we're really proud to be a part of, of, of this right now, right? Um, the bourbon that's in our bottles right now is not regenerative, but it is coming. And our practices, you know, are it's it's a really special time in this business. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot of big companies changing gears, switching gears, I mean, um, mm-hmm. to, to be a part of this. So if people can get into the box office, help us, you know, send that message. People are listening now, and that's the way to do it and to do it together. And so it's really special for me to be here talking to you about this. Um, it means the world. So thank you. Aww, of course. Well, thank you for joining me on Lauren interviews, Ian. You're amazing. And you were doing such great things. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, thank you, man. It was really awesome. I appreciate <laughs> you. Have a beautiful day. Of course you too. 
Okay. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode with these lovely people as much as I did. And forgive my scratchy voice. My gosh, I have been fighting something all weekend. I don't know what it is, but hopefully I will get some rest and get better soon. Okay, everyone, if you like this podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.